message would be this really looks awfully precarious. So excited that despite his imprisonment, he's full of joy. So um, we'll start by reading through the passage, starting at Philippians chapter 1, verse 12 onwards. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defence of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that it is through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed, but that with full courage, now, as always, Christ will be honoured in the body whether by life or by death. For me, to live is Christ and die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labour for me, yet which I shall choose, I, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to part and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ, in Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus. Because of my coming to you again, only let your matter of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything but your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should only not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake 
engaged in the same conflicts that you saw, I had and now here, here that I still have. This is the way of the Lord. Uh, yeah, not happy. Anyway, she'll be right. Last week, Ned spoke about the con- a bit about the context of this letter. Uh, Paul's currently in prison. We're not actually too sure where, uh, but we probably assume he's in Rome. Uh, due to in verse 13, him talking about um, the imperial guards, and later on in the book in chapter 4, verse 22, he says, All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. But regardless of his physical situation, Paul finds himself, um, regardless of the physical situation Paul finds himself being in prison, we see him overflowing with joy. And that joy can only be found in Christ and his gospel. This morning I have just two headings um, to preach about. One, the advancement of the gospel. And two, how the Christian responds with life and death. So we'll start off with point one. In verse 12, Paul says and assures the church in Philippi that despite his current situation of being in prison, God is still at work in spreading the gospel. Paul isn't there having a pity party saying, woe is me, my life's so hard. No, rather he's filled with joy. Why? Because he knows that the gospel is spreading and the church is growing. Verse 13, Paul mentions that everybody in the Imperial Guard knows that he has been imprisoned for Christ. Just imagine what Paul is doing with his time in prison. Imagine him there in chains, chained to another prisoner. Um, sorry. Um, he's been imprisoned for Christ. The NIV says that he's been in chains for Christ. And just imagine what Paul is doing with his time in prison. Imagine him there, chained to another prisoner. Say he's chained to this other prisoner for the whole day. They start talking. Paul asks, what sent you here? The prisoner replies, so I'm a murderer. And Paul says, so am I, but I serve a God who was crucified to save the life of a murderer and can forgive any sin despite its weight. They keep talking for several hours about how it is through Jesus' death and resurrection that we are saved. The guard that is posted overhears the conversation and is amazed and brings the story back to the family dinner table that night. I met a guy today that told this incredible story about Jesus from Nazareth and how he had the power of God. He could control the wind and the waves, could turn water into wine and could even raise people from the dead. But most importantly, he had the power to forgive sin no matter how bad. Look, we're not actually too sure how the gospel was spreading, but we know that it was. And despite Paul being in prison, the gospel was being spread to the imperial guards. It makes me think about other Christians that have had incredible ministries despite their imprisonment. We obviously have Paul, who even today we're still reading the letters and encouragement that came from his prison cell. But my mind is also brought to the English author... John Bunyan, who was imprisoned for an illegal church meeting. And during his time in prison, he wrote the allegory The Pilgrim's Progress. Um, It currently still sits as the sixth most popular sold book of all time. Um, That surprised me, actually. And it was number two 
um, up until the 20th century. <coughs> but due to the imprisonment of Bunyan, countless Christians have been encouraged by his writing. And countless more heard the gospel presented in a clear way with a solid understanding. Who knows how many people have given their hearts to the Lord because of hearing the story of Phil's progress and reading those writings. Despite our situation, we should as Christians continue to preach the gospel and make Jesus known. We also read that because of the courage Paul had to continue to spread the word, that same courage encouraged other Christians and other churches to do the same. Preaching the word of God even when opposition arises. The letter to the Philippians still encourages Christians today who are living under persecution. Persecution seems to really transform the believer. It forces them to be bold in presenting the gospel. To continue on through verse 15 through to 18, Paul writes about the people who are spreading the gospel and writes about two of the motives some people have. The first motive is one from envy and rivalry, and the second is from goodwill. Paul doesn't go into a whole lot of detail about these people. These people that are preaching from goodwill, they are spreading the gospel because of love. They have a genuine love for the people that they are around. Their desire is to see the people saved. But there are people also spreading the gospel from envy and rivalry. These people were most likely quite happy to see Paul in prison because they didn't like him. They may have been jealous or envious of the fruitful ministry of Paul, or they may not have liked the fact that he was once a persecutor of the church. We're not too sure, but despite the motives of these people, they are still teaching a true and faithful gospel. We know that because of Paul's track record about confronting a false gospel. Galatians 1 verse 9 says, If any of you is preaching to you a gospel other than the one you accepted, let them be under the curse, uh, under God's curse. Paul takes false teaching so, so seriously. But the motives of envy and rivalry are only against Paul, not against the gospel. And Paul later says in chapter 2, verse 4, Let each of you not only look to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Paul isn't worried about himself or his reputation. Rather, he's concerned for the true message of the gospel to be taught. We read of him rejoicing in the gospel, whether from false motives motives or truth. Christ is preached, and because of that, I rejoice, he says. So today, how could our motives be wrong? Well, quite easily, actually, unfortunately. We can be sharing the gospel today, but sometimes more interested in filling pews rather than hearing, but rather than the hearts um, of the people sitting in the pews. Look, they can be teaching a, a true and correct gospel from the pulpit, but inside they're wanting more people to attend just so that they can say, we have the biggest church in Bandy or, or we have the biggest church in St. George. And some people as well can be preaching the gospel because they feel like they need to do so in order to be saved. Of course, they would never admit it. But inside, they're thinking, I need to be talking to people about Jesus. Otherwise, I'm not a good Christian. Our motives for sharing the gospel need to be love. We need to have genuine love for the people that we share it with. We need to be asking the Lord Jesus for correct motives and a pure heart. When we are sharing the gospel, 
We, as United as Christians, to share the gospel. Churches and mission organisations are designed to support each other so that the gospel can be preached and presented. Now, churches are essential in missions. They support, we can support missionaries from all over the world. They enable people and missionaries to devote all their time into spreading the gospel, rather than being torn between financial jobs and mission jobs. We should be praying for those, but even us here in Deer and Bandy. Why did we have the bookstore at the Deer and Show? Well, it was because we wanted to share the gospel as a church, united together. Uh, we'll be moving on to point two. How the Christian responds with life and death. Death is something that all people will come across throughout their life and will experience at some point of their own too. Not Only two people have successfully avoided death, and that's Enoch and Elijah in Genesis 5 verse 24 and 2 Kings 2.11 where we hear that they are taken up into heaven. Even Jesus experienced death, but he conquered it. It, it, but death is so prevalent around us. And people are constantly telling us in an attempt, uh, people are constantly telling us things in an attempt to keep us alive here on earth. How many times have you told your kid not to climb the tree? Or how many times I've been told not to drive at night? It's been numerous. People are trying to keep us alive for here on earth. But death is inevitable. But how should a Christian respond to death? And it's probably better spoken about, actually, in the way of how a Christian should respond to life. Or even what is life? A nice, easy question for people to ask. And verse 21, Paul answers that big question, what is the purpose of life? For me, to live is Christ and die is gain. We'll work through those phrases. I will start off with, for me. Paul is talking about Christ being something personal. It's for me, it's for him. It's his own personal faith. Some people can think that they are saved by the faith of their parents, or the faith of their upbringing, or the faith of their church, or even the country that they are born in. But we know that faith is to be personal. It's about a personal relationship with Christ. If we go back, all the way back to Genesis 1, 2 and 3, we read about the way God designed male and female and how they were designed to be in relationship with God. Genesis 3, 8 to 10 says, And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I, hear, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. See, God was walking with Adam in the Garden of Eden. God designed man to be in relationship, in personal relationship with him. And the Psalms, they're just overflowing with relationship and, and the language of that. So I'll give you some quick examples. Psalm 13 verse 1, How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? Or Psalm 63 verse 1, O Lord, you are my God. Psalm 42 verse 2, My soul thirsts for God. Psalm 95 verse 7, For he is our God. And then in John 15 verse 15, 
we hear that Jesus calls his disciples friends. Our relationship with God is to be personal. We don't worship a God who is some far-off deity or someone who looks down on us. But we worship a God who desires to have a relationship with his people. So that's the first bit, to me. And he continues to say, to me, to live. Our faith is practical. We are to be living out our faith. We are to be living out Christ every day. Not just some days, but every day. We are to be spending our life in worship. After all, for a Christian, that's what eternity is going to be like. Spending eternity worshipping God. Psalm 100 says, Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful song. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us. We are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues throughout all generations. So our life, we are meant to be living out our faith. For me, to live is Christ. Life is only attainable through Jesus Christ. John 14, 6, and we sang that before. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What a blessing that is to be able to read that and know that it is through Jesus. And Romans 3, 21 to 24. But now, apart from the law of righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and prophets testify, these right... This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. We who are born with sin and under the curse of sin, we're made righteous only through Jesus, no other way. And that's pretty amazing. It's really amazing. For me, to live is Christ and die is gain. So, death. For a Christian, death isn't actually the end. We believe that death is really only the beginning. The beginning of an eternity. An eternity in heaven, worshipping the Father. Verse 22 and 23 talk about how Paul is torn between his time here on earth and death. He knows that death is far, far better than life here on earth. Why? Because in death he gets to spend eternity with the Father. Paul believes that as soon as we die, we're sent to heaven for eternity. If Paul was selfish, and no doubt he would have chosen to die long ago, because he longs to see the face of Jesus again. But... I'm reminded of Psalm 130, in which we also did sing before. I will wait for the Lord, my soul waits. In his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman in the morning. We have our hope in the spoken word of God. We know that death has no hold on us, but rather in death we are raised to glory with God the Father. Now Paul finishes this section by assuring the the church in Philippi that he will press on. 
He will stay living despite the selfish desire to die. He will stay and continue to preach the word of God for the saints. And it's not until God says it's done that that it is. He's also keen to serve God despite the earthly challenges, despite the challenge of being thrown in prison. But Paul knows that the work that he is doing, even in prison, is valuable for the church here on earth. For the people here today uh, who maybe fear death, and I'm aware that that's quite a common fear for most people, people who might not even want to think about it, sweep it under the rug, let me tell you that you can have peace and joy in death that can only be found in Christ Jesus. We know that it is far, far better to be struggling, to be thrown in jail, to be persecuted for the sake of Christ, than to live in ease in this life and, and not know Christ. And for those here today who, who know Christ and live for Christ, who know him as their personal saviour, they get to experience eternity with him. And that's something that gives me a smile on the face. It's exciting. If you don't know about Jesus, if you're not sure, if you've got questions, if you don't feel like you're able to fully trust him, I encourage you to talk to someone, ask for help. Talk to a solid believer, someone who you can see their faith in action. Ask them to be reading the Bible with you. Do life together. For those today who know the gospel and who know Jesus as their personal saviour, may I continue to encourage you to continue living a life that reflects that truth. That even in hard times, when persecution is upon you, remember that God is still victorious. He can use persecution and he uses persecution to spread the gospel. We have no idea. It's, it's incredible. Look, in Australia, we may not ever be thrown into jail for being a Christian. But however we are persecuted, or even just the challenges in life, we are called to be a witness. Paul doesn't tell us that life will be cruisy and easy. Rather, he tells us that in these hardships and hard times, we need to remember the glory of Christ. Please pray with me. Love and Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for Jesus that it is through his death and resurrection that sin and death has been defeated, Lord. That no longer we fear death, but in fact, Lord, we look forward to it. That as your people, we will be raised to glory. Help us, Lord, to keep our minds focused on that. Keep our motives pure for spreading the gospel, Lord. Help us to have conversations with people about you, Lord, and about the salvation that you have given us. We thank you so much that you're a good God and that we can trust you. Pray all this through Jesus' holy and precious name.